You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Tech moves fast. So keep pace with the Daily Crunch Podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Kevin Miller, and this is the Earn and Invest Podcast. Up until reading Kevin Miller's book, If you ask me what drives my behavior, I would point to traumatic events of my childhood. Being the youngest of three brothers, where my eldest brother was more athletic and better looking and my middle was more smart and artistic. The death of my father suddenly from a brain aneurysm when I was seven years old. Or the realization that I had a profound learning disability when it came to reading and that it would take most of elementary school to catch up with my peers. I pictured in my mind the intense pressure that turns coal into diamonds. The drive itself was a result of ego-shattering cataclysm. But looking back, looking back, I couldn't have been more wrong. Drive actually was a series of quiet decisions. To hop on the public bus alone in fifth grade to see yet another tutor. To rewrite the essay one last time and correct all the misspellings to stay in the library on Saturday morning when the rest of my dorm mates were at the football stadium. A series of small decisions stacked together with many missteps, flops, and failures along the way. Kevin Miller began his elite athletic career at the age of 10 and quickly became a nationally ranked BMX racer. He started his first business out of his parents' garage at age 15, and by 16, he was pursuing a professional road cycling career. 19 business startups and nine kids later, he's hosting Self Helpful, a top 1% ranked self-help podcast. He's also author of the recently published book, What Drives You? How to Discover Your Unique Motivators and Accelerate Growth in Work and Life, Kevin Miller, welcome to Earn and Invest. Some of the first words of your book are a definition of the word drive. You say it's a very strong energy and determination to achieve a goal to satisfy a need. It begs the question, is drive innate in us? Are we born with it? I think we are. And I didn't used to. I was one of the many categories that felt like, man, there's just some people who are driven and some aren't. And yet I found myself honestly through my my podcast and having people on the show like you and wondering what was it that created drive in you to have you go to medical school and then do what you do and to transition to what you do now and and then have somebody seemingly similar who just doesn't have that drive. And to think that, you know, some people got it, some people don't. And then I kept 
getting these stories that really violated my own perspective on that and getting into it. And as you said, and seeing so often the people on my shows were the ones who had, as you said, the, the quiet, small decisions that oriented their life and created this or unleashed, I would say, this drive. So I've come to the point through my research and opinion, I feel like, no, we've got drive in us. Nobody is born with, oh, bummer, you got born without without <laughs> drive. Uh, but you may not have had something trigger that yet. And uh, and that that blows me away as well, to see somebody go from zero to hero immediately in a moment almost because of something specific happening, uh, an inciting incident, as Donald Miller would say. It's an interesting idea because I know in my life, as I talked about in the intro, there have been these cataclysmic moments like the death of my father. Mm -hmm. But I think I almost took the easy way out by saying, well, that's why I became a doctor, because my dad died and he was a doctor. And I discounted maybe a lot of those quieter things that I did for years that led up to medical school and eventually practicing. Well, and there, granted, man, there are there are definitely those big moments that happen. But what? And but that's what we glorify. We make movies, and you know, makes good stories <laughs> about that. And yet, again, you know, the two hundred plus books behind me of people I've had on the show, not many of them have that great story. Uh, it's just something small and seemingly benign and not really that impressive even. And I kept hearing those stories, like the story of Dr. Benjamin Hardy, who I start the book off with. And I had him on the show and he makes this little quip about being a 19-year-old kid playing World of Warcraft 14 hours a day with nothing. I mean, nothing that I would have wanted for my or, – or he he didn't embody any of the things that I was wanting to try to put into my own kids as far as drive. He had, you know, from a moral and ethical standpoint or work ethic or experience or anything, he had nothing. And he has this little realization, a little dawning, and he says, ah, this direction isn't going really in a good way I don't, as from what I see and probably should do something else. Makes a little shift and you know, the rest is, is history and he's in my book and on my bookshelves and whatnot. And I thought, gosh, that goes against the grain of what I thought. Cause he would, he would have been everything we would have said is a oh, bummer, bummer that Ben didn't get any drive, you know, somebody else did, but he didn't. Um, and lo and behold, you know, a little shift and he's got a lot. So yeah, it really reframed my own perspective and got me thinking about it differently. And then realizing, as you talk about how, it was even a different perspective for my own life that I had not perceived. Let's talk a little bit about your life. I mean, you were an elite athlete starting in childhood. What was the drive there? Was there an inciting event or was it just a slow shift? Yeah, no big inciting uh, event. I mean, you, I think people would say, ah, you know, I was competitive, uh, but uh you know, it was exposure. They built a BMX track in my town. And so that was the cool thing. And uh, if it had been baseball was the focus, maybe I'd have gone that direction or whatnot, but they built a BMX track and, you know, we're little kids and we rode our bikes around anyway. So it was a great fit. And I found a knack for it maybe, um, and, uh, and started practicing and, you know, so I, I was, I was the consummate, what they would say driven, but that's, you know, so if I look at the myth of 
Some people are driven, some people are not. I think that's a myth that we all have it in there. We just may need to, to find a trigger for it. Then the other side of that, of the coin is thinking that drive alone is everything. So I was driven, but as the story goes in my book, and as I show with other people as well, that alone, we know a lot of people who are driven and it doesn't lead to happiness always. It doesn't necessarily lead to fulfillment. It depends on what what, what place we're driving. So I was, a, I was the poster child for drive, doing a lot of things. And you get accolades for that. You know, you get accolades for the achievement. It doesn't mean you experience happiness or fulfillment from that, which my gosh, uh, Jordan, you should know, you, you know, well, from being at the deathbed with so many people and hearing those regrets, whatnot. And it so flips on its head, the values that we tend to put up in the culture, but it's still what we buy into. I have a lot of thoughts on drive and happiness, and I think we're going to circle back to that. But before we do, I feel like we talk about drive as a singular thing. And so as I'm looking at you, Kevin Miller, your life, I'm looking at Kevin Miller, the elite athlete. I'm looking at Kevin Miller, the entrepreneur. Also, Kevin Miller, the podcaster. Yeah. Was drive or the drive different for each of these things, or was it more singular that drove you in all these directions? Pretty singular. I, and I'm I'm grateful for that. And I still, I feel like I see that with most of the, of the people that we're all following and influenced by that they have something, they might find different methodologies, different vehicles for that drive. But all along, I've been driven by very much the same things. And on the good side, I would say I was driven by values, which I think, which is, you know, I talk about is at the core of it. I was driven by values that kept me somewhat on the straight and narrow from not going too far over here. Um, but then I also, and that's part of my own story and realization was driven by some things that I was not aware of. And they sabotaged a lot of efforts and caused a lot of heartache and bitterness and burnout. And now, and I think we all want to take our thing, you know, and say, so everybody out there who's burnout and bitter, whatever, it's a result of your drive being out of alignment. I could say that. I, I don't know that that's fair. I do find that a lot, especially among, as you talked, you mentioned, you know, aspiring people, or I've been using Arthur Brooks recently, you know, was on the show and he talks about striving people, strivers. And that often they have drive and it's working out in these areas of life and they it's it's authentic and it's fulfilling. And yet they get really frustrated over here where they feel like they're putting the same math into place and it's not working out. And what I often find, can't say always, but I often find is that they're, I'm gonna, you know, to use the reference from my book, their drive is out of alignment. Something's driving them that they're not aware of. They're driven, but they're not really aware of what's driving them and it's sabotaging that. Man, that can be. A uh, lot of collateral damage on that. And how do you know? I mean, is is the answer, I'm not being successful in this pursuit, so maybe it's being driven by something less healthy or less authentic? Like, how do you know when your drive is pushing you in the wrong direction? That's a great question, Jordan. I I tend to come to it by my own peace. You could say fulfillment, whatever, but just my own peace. And we'll see people who are driven and we know those stories. It's so, this isn't rocket science. We see those stories of somebody who's driven, they're making big achievements, but obviously they aren't happy and they, you know, they sabotage themselves or they have big failings other, other where, or they kill themselves. I mean, we've, we've all heard those stories. Those are classic exaggerated examples. But I think if we look at our lives 
and look at the key areas. And as you know, I have seven areas in my book and it's, it's very much along the lines of Zig Ziglar's wheel of life. That's been around for a long time. Anybody can type that in Zig Ziglar's wheel of life. And he goes through these key areas of life and you can look at those and go, you know, kind of do an audit. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about your success and your progress there? And you can look and go, gosh, I'm really happy financially. I feel really good about where I'm at. Awesome. And then we can look over here and say, you know, gosh, relationally though, and things are not good. And again, I'm, I'm sure you see this so often on the deathbed of places where people feel at peace. They feel fulfilled. And over here, they did a lot of work. They feel like they put a lot of the same effort in and yet, man, they were not at peace. And there are, you know, there are regrets, whatnot. And I think we all look at that and we can get really waylaid. That's what is so daunting to me that we can get so frustrated and silent again onto bitterness and burnout. It's going to manifest somewhere. And if we audit ourselves and get really honest, I think with how we feel about these areas in our lives, we'll see where our drive is off. And we think, gosh, I'm driven. I mean, I have, I have motive, but yeah, but how do you feel about it? And man, that lack of peace is a telltale sign. I so resonate with that because I was very driven to become a physician. I was actually very good and successful at it, but I knew something was wrong because that drive and success wasn't feeling peaceful. And only later on when I started doing things that fulfilled me more could that strong sense of drive coexist with peacefulness. Because at one point, I felt like drive itself was a non-peaceful thing. Like I almost compare it to a treadmill in a sense that we get on this treadmill and, and we have drive and we achieve something. And then instead of feeling peace with that, often we start looking towards that next achievement I felt a lot less of that when I found ways to use my drive to things that felt more authentic toward to me. Your story is, I mean, that's a big one to really look and get honest with your life and look at, in your case, you're an MD. I mean, your investment of time and money and effort in that is what keeps, as you know, what keeps most MDs in it for the long haul, no matter what, even if they hate it, they're just going to churn it out and get to the end because to stop that and go, you know what? I don't think this is doing it. I'm going to go a different direction. That's few and far between. That's a huge, that's a huge story. Um, no, yeah. Yeah. You looking at, at that drive as a non-peaceful thing. That's an interesting statement because on one hand we have people, I mean, drive sells. I mean, there's a reason we put that on the book as well. I mean, drives compelling. Most people think I want to be driven. However, there's a lot of them now, a lot of them, I think these days who are, they're, they're just worn out and drive is almost a dirty, a, a dirty word. They're tired. I have to keep striving. I hear that from some people, they're just worn out. And, and I would say, you know, they want to make, you know, everybody wants to make progress. Everybody wants to achieve things. But when they get to that feeling of, oh my gosh, I'm just tired of it. I would say that's what happens when we're, and again, I'm going to use my term, your drive is out of alignment. You've been going along, churning out, churning, doing the grind for something. And you're not, you're not clear either on what you want or or why and in agreement with those. Uh, and that, that when you're in that place, yeah, I understand you're tired of being driven. Can I just have a break? Can I just, well, I think that's a lot of, a lot of things what leads people to, you know, can I just go after, as you know, you're a topic that you speak a lot on early retirement. Yeah, people use that as the solution to mm -hmm. a misaligned drive. And so we're talking about how your drive can be misaligned. But there are a lot of people right now who just want to figure out how to be more driven towards something that's important to them. True. And in the first chapter, you say that that's just a thought away. A lot of people make the mistake of thinking that drive is all or nothing. Tell me why it isn't. 
I just don't often, I mean, everybody's going to think of the far extreme of somebody who literally is on the couch all day long doing nothing. Okay. That's not the norm. That's not, that's, it's nobody listening to this show, uh, to your show is in that camp. And they have areas where they are driven. And I, I've often heard people, well, I'll put it on this. So as a pro cyclist and, you know, and a health, health advocate and whatnot, I get the aspect of being disciplined attributed to me a lot. Oh, I wish I was as disciplined as you are. And yet I'll, I'll never forget. There was one guy in particular who said that to me. So, oh man, I, and he was thinking about health and wellness because he was dealing with weight and health issues. And I wish I was just, you know, driven and motivated like you are. And, but he said it as an overall statement, like I'm a driven person, disciplined person, and he was not. And yet I hear his story about his finances. Dude's a rock star, incredibly disciplined and driven in a way that I am not, that's uh, finances is my Achilles heel. I have to have other people deal with that. And, and I'm looking, I go, I, I wish I was driven like you too. Well, we're both driven, but towards different things. And you can even take that to the extreme also. And this keeps coming up of drive. We attribute dri- uh, a driven person be- because we see them going after things that we would say are positive mm-hmm. progressions, right? As opposed to over here, I mean, I see a drug addict they're driven royalty, man. There's nobody driven more than a meth addict. They're going to kill to get what they need, uh, but that's a negative thing. So we don't give them accolades for being driven, but man, they're incredibly driven. Somebody else, uh, I was on a show yesterday and she talked about people in crime, you know, they're, they're driven. Yeah. But we don't give them accolades for that because it's towards what we would say is a negative thing. But I find very few people who don't have drive in, even the person on the couch, you know, is the one that then gets a heart, has a heart attack. And goes in and Doc says, man, you've got you know months to live if you don't make a change. And generally you see all of a sudden this drastic shift in life. Well, so what? They they didn't, yeah. Otherwise, we would think, so what? They they heard that news and now they're gonna say, Well, I gotta spend a decade pursuing self-help and becoming a driven person. No, man, it happened overnight. You got that diagnosis and it happened. So what? Uh, you, obviously the drive is in there. And I really feel like that's true. So it's clear to me from this conversation that probably all of us can be driven towards the right thing. And where we find things not working out is when our drive is misaligned. You know, I get this question all the time after writing my book, Taking Stock. Well, how do you know what to point your drive towards? I call that purpose, right? To me, it's what is your purpose and identity? What makes you feel connected? How do we go about finding the right way to align our drive or what it should be aligned to? Uh, That question belies part of the problem because we think that it is a black and white type issue. We look at our culture and we think this is what you do and it's full. And I'm not the first person to talk about shoulds, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's amazing. I mean, you you and I were talking before the show just about writing a book and the things that we realize. And it's, I think every day I'm still more impressed uh, impressed upon, I should say, not impressed in a good way, but impressed upon about how much the shoulds and the cultural expectations shape our lives and even mine. And I have to step back and look and go, wait, why am I doing that? And to question what we are doing and why, what am I, what am I doing and why really why? And that why is going to be the true why is going to be about five to 10 whys below the first answer you give. You take any area in your life, why are you doing that? You're going to give an answer. It's not the true why. Somebody needs to ask you, okay, why that? Okay, why that? And finally get down. And if you get down here at the bottom and go, wait a minute, gosh, that's why 
I want to be a doctor or not. Well, let's say it is. That's why, gosh, that's talk about empowering. You will, you will rocket charge your drive if you get down to the bottom and find the real reason why you're doing it. Or and as would my, maybe would have been in your case, if you had done that, you know, a, a long time ago, you would have gotten down and go, goodness, I, I don't think I really would do want to be a doctor. How much time and energy would that have saved you? Obviously, you know, there's the redemptive aspect of what you did. And I'm sure that feeds into what, what you do now. But um, yeah, really getting, be, I, I think a lot of times just the confidence to set out yourself, you mentioned your identity, to set that out and look at what you're doing and just be willing to question it. Why am I doing this? And am I really in agreement with that? Do I really know at the core? And we just don't do that. We just, especially in this culture right now, we're inundated with social media and seeing everybody and we just accept the cultural norms. And I'm trying to help my kids divest themselves from my own programming of them and go, guys, okay, so here I am. I got married young. I got, you know, had all these kids. I did the job. I kind of did the norm. Why don't you guys question that? Do you want to do that? Do you want to get married? Are you not whole just in and of yourself? Do you want to have kids? Do you want to be an entrepreneur? Be free to question those things. And I, I, I appreciate seeing my kids. I'm more proud of them. I've grown to be. Didn't start off this way, but I've grown to be more proud of them being very diverse in their interests and tastes and, and whatnot, as opposed to, I think in a, in a, years ago, I would have been more proud to see them all do exactly what I do, you know, to have the same values. They're all entrepreneurs. They're all athletes. They're all, you know, health and wellness fanatics and, and yada. And now I'm, I'm grateful that they, I, I almost feel like it's more. It tells more about me of giving them the freedom and insight and exposure to other things that they're doing different things as opposed to being a carbon copy of me. As I hear you talk about your children, I go back to that big word that you were mentioning a few minutes ago, happiness. Happiness is a loaded word, and I often see it used together with things like drive and achievement what are the relationship between those three words? Like, how does happiness fit in with drive and achievement? And, and you know, how, how can we look at these in, with a healthy perspective? It's a great, it's a good question because, again, I want to be, <laughs> you're asking me as the author and the authority, I'm supposed to be the black <laughs> and white. Man, I, it's not that, it's not that easy because we do see people. I mean, on one hand, I appreciate I appreciate, you know, Tony Robbins, who's attributed with saying, man, the happiest people by far and large, he was being really simplistic, are just those who are making positive progress towards something. Doesn't matter what it is. And I do find that. How great to wake up in the morning, have interest and curiosity and to go after something. So I appreciate greatly being driven towards something and, and achievements in that way. And I think we find great happiness. And as you talked about, in a deeper sense, purpose, man, we all want purpose. Even if it's not all happy, we would choose. I think most people will choose. Well, there's studies done recently, you know, that we will, uh, well, I think that was, uh, it was Arthur Brooks in his book, strength to strength. And he talks about that, that we will choose achievement over happiness, uh, sometimes for better, for better or worse. Um, so I do like it there. However, to your question on, on drive, man, it obviously does not always provide happiness. And that's something for us to look at. Is that thing you're going after really giving you joy and fulfillment and happiness, even though the world may applaud? And we do that. We, we're going to applaud the next person on stage, getting an award, achieving something big. 
And we not only accept, we almost expect collateral damage. Oh, well, they, you know, they wrecked all their relationships. Yeah, but you know, they're they're in the they're an MVP, they're Hall of Fame, you know, or they or they went bankrupt, you know, five times, or they did X way. We kind of expect that. It's not doesn't have to be the case. It's not the it's not the story of most of the people on the bookshelves behind me with these great cataclysm, as you talked about, cataclysmic consequences um, to that. I would hope that we would, I mean, that's the hope for me, gosh, with my kids, I want my kids to go through some of the hard lessons that I showcase in the book and, and hopefully not have some of those big valleys. I think there's, that's wisdom and maturity. Unfortunately, a lot of us have to have that cataclysmic event to really bring us up to speed. And I'd rather that we avoided that. Let me turn the question around a little bit. Can there be happiness without drive? I think so. I almost don't want to admit it. But. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually surprised by your answer. <laughs> I, you know, Jordan, I know some people, I don't even want to name them, but some of the, some people that I, I, I revere their peace are not who we would say are the most driven people. Now, if I went into the specific people uh, that I'm thinking of, are they driven Yes, but not in the way that we would normally think of it. They are not just, they're not killing it. You know, they're not out there just dust the dawn and they are more at peace and their drive is, is, uh, maybe a little, I don't know if I want to say slower, but it's not so intense. And so I don't less and less do I give in, in my own self, do I give accolades to the person who's just, yeah, that, that where they're killing it. When I hear that, I think, oh, it sounds tiring. And and I find that with myself now. Am I driven? I I think I'm just as driven. I think more authentically driven than ever. But man, you got me thinking about. It. I want a different vernacular and to think of. Uh, there's, there's some aspects where I think I've chilled out though with it too. I want to I want to work smarter. I want to make progress. But I am more patient. I'm more at peace with it, and I'm more thinking about just my state of mind and and my peace. And sometimes I'm taking that thing that I'm driven for driven towards. And I'm 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 consciously setting it aside and saying, Kevin, just put the brakes on, man. And you, you need right now. You need to go out into the woods. You need to you need to chill out because where is your happiness? Because I can go after something, even if I'm excited, and just get wrapped up in it and get my as my kids would say, get my panties in a wad, you know. And, and that's not I'm not having fun. I had my one of my best friends one time. He said, Dude, it feels like you're showcasing to your kids that being an entrepreneur is just being in this ha- this harried, frantic lifestyle. Is that what you want to showcase? <laughs> And I really, it was, a, I appreciate him saying it because I felt, I think a good guilt in the moment of going, no, I don't. What am I showcasing? That's not compelling. Um, I, I, I'm not showing them peace and happiness and joy and all this stuff. So I'm, you, you, we talked about before the show and I'm, I'm on the journey with everybody. I'm, I'm grappling with it. I think I've experienced and seen some things uh, maybe uh, ahead of some other folks too, but man, we're all on the, we're all on the spectrum. It's funny because as I was reading your book, I was trying to undo some of your arguments and I was thinking, well, what about like the Buddhists or the Stoics, right? We think of them as letting go of some of that earthly pressure and and accepting life as it is. But the more I started thinking about that, I realized that they were driven to do those things, right? So someone who's a Buddhist who studies Buddhism, who spends lots of time letting go of the earthly demands and worries and concerns... Actually, you have to be quite driven to get there. So as I'm thinking about that, this and as we discuss it, it, it almost comes down to urgency. I think we make the mistake of thinking that drive has to be urgent. Huh. 
And that maybe when we see someone who's driven but peaceful, what we're really saying is they're driven, but that urgency doesn't seem there in the same way it does for someone who who is, quote unquote, killing it. That's a great point. It's a really good point. And it's one that is acute to me as you use that analogy, because I have a couple monks who I think of when you talk about that. I actually talk about it in the book, Thomas Merton. So he's a you know infamous guy, he was a monk. And I, there was a time when I first got introduced to him that I thought, really? And I'm making this up, but in my head, the story was the dude's like, you know, three years in a cave, just him and God, what's that benefiting anybody? Is that enough? <laughs> okay. So I'm grappling with my own religiosity and stuff at the time, but it's interesting because later on I found out, yeah, during these times of seclusion and think, what was he doing? He was writing books. He wrote like 54 books that he's imparting to people. That's drive. It was one drive to, as you said, live that monastic life. But he was then using that. He wasn't just sitting there, yeah, looking at the stars or the moon all day. He had things he wanted. He was driven to impart what he learned to people. And we know that now, you know, today we see a similar thing I recently had on. Actually, I don't think we've even published it yet. Uh, Don Dapani, uh on the show, uh, really well known. Again, he was a monk for a decade. I think, and then he left. There's a word for that, but he, you know, he left that uh, that uh, that that status, I guess. Uh, and now he is out and writing books. That's why I've got him on the show. I can't remember what his book's name. It's it's behind me, but um, I think it's like the power of focus. But he's imparting that. So yeah, drive to be that in that lifestyle that then fueled. It was almost like the bamboo tree. You know, we didn't see him for a long time, like a bamboo tree. It doesn't, nothing happens forever. And then all of a sudden it shoots out. Man, he's been building that for a long time. But as you said, not in some urgent, frantic, grind, hustle type thing. And I'm not going to, you know, go into the debate on the hustle culture. I mean, there's times in my life and I'm sure in yours where we have a season and cycle of hustle. I mean, you got a book release, you're hustling uh, if you want to stay on top of it, uh, but not all the time. We are talking to Kevin Miller. He is the host of Self Helpful, a top 1% ranked self-help podcast. And we are talking drive. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G and this is Earn and Invest. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R. USA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. All right. So most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is 
there's something better and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor, and it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. We are talking to Kevin Miller. He is the author of What Drives You, How to Discover Your Unique Motivators and Accelerate Growth in Work and Life. So we're talking about drive, Kevin. So what are the drivers of drive? I believe in your book, you talk about five years. What are they and how do they play into drive? Yeah, it was, it was again, you and I were talking about book writing at the as, before we started the show. And it is so interesting to look at the things. It was interesting for me to start unpacking it. What does create drive and to start doing the research. And the, I mean, the first step that I didn't enjoy a whole lot really was looking at genetics. I am a, I mean, gosh, my show's called self-helpful. I mean, it's it very heavy on the nurture side, you know, that we make ourselves and create ourselves, which I believe, and yet we're doing that on top of genetics. You're a doc, man. You know this better than I do. And I've never wanted to give it as much weight as it continues to have for me. I don't like it because I don't want us to use it as a cop-out. And that stays true. And yet I hurt my own my myself and my own journey by not giving it gravity of that. I think uh, I think the most acute way to look at it, for me at least, is to think about ourselves leaving our home of origin, right? Well, you know, leaving our parents' home or whatever, where we grew up and we get out and we're on our own for the first time. And we think, all right, now I'm going to be Jordan, man. I'm free to be me, right? And no, you're not. You are completely programmed to this point. And what we'd be best to do is get out at that point before you start college or you go get off, get your apartment to say, okay, what are we working with here? And do an audit and say, what are your, let's, let's check out your environment. What were you exposed to? What were you not exposed to? Which is a bigger question because whatever there is to, to experience, you've experienced about 1% of it. And to realize that you have a very limited exposure that you're programmed by. And, and then, um, and, but to, to look at what you had even out of the womb. And again, you're a doc, man. I'm blown away by the research that says how we are 
programmed. I mean, we are genetically wired from what happened to the ancestry, you know, the, the, however many levels before that. And that's a part of you. And I look at it and I write about it in the book is it's a set point. Doesn't mean it doesn't completely limit you from anything. Don't take it again as a, as a cop out, but to be honest, and just like we would with height, you know, that's a genetic thing. So if you come out and you just top out at five foot two, do that's it. Does that mean you can never be in the NBA? Well, Muggsy Bowes did it. Uh, very rare. I probably wouldn't uh, necessarily advocate that for you. Maybe find something like a jockey. It might fit more, you know, but there are some genetic predispositions that are really weighty that I think that we as a culture don't give credit to. So to go back, find out as much as you can and just say, gosh, it makes sense that I might struggle in this area or be stronger in this area. And the, the more you know about that, the more you can you can manage it. You can give affirmative action to those types of things. So that's a, a starting point that I didn't necessarily appreciate. But as I got into the research and, and continue to see, man, that is very, very weighty for your life. Again, as a set point to understand where you start from. Um, so that was a big one. The next one then is environment. And I think we all look at that, but even that we don't, we want to come out kind of like my example. We want to come out of our home and think, man, I'm free to be me now. No, you've just gone through, you know, whatever age you are, 18 years, 20 years of, of significant programming and to not, this isn't a, people struggle with this because they think, ah, this is where you throw your family under the bus. Right. <laughs> and And no, but if you had the most awesome parents or caregivers on planet earth, they one weren't perfect. They too were very limited in what they were able to expose you to. They by proxy of being good parents are supposed to try to impart good values to you, but they can only understand those values through their own frame of reference and filters and biases and whatnot. So again, to be confident enough, I wish I could give everybody that the confidence to sit down and set their beliefs and their thought processes and what they've been exposed to set it on the table and just be willing to audit it. And I'd say, get help doing that to understand where, what am I, why do I think this way? And uh, let yourself have, I find myself in the book a lot, trying to give people permission to back off, you know, to back off and say, gosh, why do I think that way? I had a guy, man, I reference him so often. Andy Norman wrote a book called mental immunity and a lot of his book talks about our beliefs and how so, so often those beliefs aren't based on our own research or things that we actually have vetted, but they're things that we have been exposed to and we've wrapped our self-image around it. And that's what we see in the media today and this polarization. And it's more about our own identity issues around this topic than it is of us being really free to question it. And, and to his standpoint, he's saying in, in in confidence and maturity, we should be able to set those beliefs, these things that we think that we think that we think out on the table and question them. It's interesting because you talked about the first two of the five drivers, right? We've talked about genetics and environment. And interestingly enough, neither of those do you have any control over, right? You have no control over your genetics and mostly you have no control over what family and environment and culture you grow up in. So two of those five out of the box say nothing about who you are as a person when it comes to emotions and desires. It's kind of what's given to you. That's a great point. That's a great point. And, and back to my analogy, we think that we you know leave our home or whatever, and we think now we have complete control. And you're right. We've been controlled. It's daunting, Jordan, as a father 
to realize that uh, I've told my kids, uh, the word I play with is probably not fair, but say, man, I brainwashed you guys. I can't not <laughs> brainwash you. And for you to be authentically, you are the most authentic you, you need to go get uh, re-brainwashed, you know, or at least try to yeah, set this stuff out on the table. You're right. We can't. And yet we think that we are in control and we think we come out of our home and now we're totally in control and think, no, you've got so much programmed in. You do know they'll have the ability to take the reins and take control, but to do that without giving um, again, that word gravity, giving gravity to, to what's been behind you, where you've gotten to this point is you're going to do yourself a disservice. And I think that's why we see ourselves repeating patterns. That's what happened to me, Jordan. It was, it took me so late in life to realize and not being willing to look behind me somewhat and understand these things. It took me so long, uh, to come to that. And it, it took somebody else help me see, buddy, you see the patterns here. You see, <laughs> and like you talked about, you know, you, it always comes up in the bio because it sounds impressive. And, and I'm going to, I mean, there's some impressive things about it. 19 different businesses. Well, part of that though, is because I didn't know some of what was driving me and I start something and it'd succeed. And then I'd sabotage it and then start the next thing. And, uh, I think that with a lot of, you know, quote, serial entrepreneurs, they're people who haven't found out what the heck they want to do yet. So the f first two drivers we talked about are maybe a little bit out of our control. The last three drivers are desires, motives, and beliefs. Do we have a little bit more say in those? Yes, we can do a lot with those, but it's again, putting them out on the table and looking at what we desire. I, we it's, it's again, it just, all this is, you know, like I hope any good book, it's research and things that you're discovering. And I continue to discover how we don't question our desires. We just think that they exist and we don't really question them and have somebody come along and ask us really why, which is what I try to do in the book. I try to, that's the, you know, chapters three through nine is to lead you through, uh, take the concepts of drive and then lead you through these three, these seven core areas of life and to question your desires. And so much of it, we mentioned it earlier, you know, come from shoulds, and expectations. And we say that that's not, I'm, I'm, I'm the, you know, five billionth person to say that that's nothing new. I just want to be the one that really gives weight to it. No, no, really, really. Most of us are going along and we're living out our day, fulfilling shoulds and expectations that are not what we authentically want. And it's rampant. And I think it continues to grow. And I think social media is is making it worse. I, I really do because we see the shoulds and expectations just plastered everywhere and we just accept and adopt those things. Me too. And I have to question that. I, I say in the book, it's just so funny to me because it's a group of guys I still hang out with and they're always talking about, it's a, like a, an adventure group and they're always talking about the next adventure and the next gear and whatever. And they were at one point talking about and I don't know why this happened to me, but, or why the thought process, if they were talking about these great sunglasses, oh yeah, the sunglasses and oh yeah, any, that's like any, anybody who's a real adventurer has these sunglasses. So I'm like literally in the process of pulling them up and I'm going to go buy these sunglasses. And then it finally dawns on me. I, I don't like sunglasses. I don't wear them. I don't like them. I, you know, I was a, I was a professional athlete sponsored by sunglass companies and I was always taking them all. I don't, I don't like them. And yet the pressure to do these, you know, we are so, so influenced by things. So when we look at our desires, really, I want to ask everybody, is your desire really your desire at the core of it? If it's just you, it's not about your parents, it's not about your culture. It's not about your social group, your friends, your family. Do you really want that for you? And most people just don't know. If you get, to, if you ask that question, they're, they're just kind of stuck like deer in the headlights. We don't question our desires. So that's a, that's a huge starting point. 
Do you think societal expectation is one of the largest adversaries to authentic drive? I do. I do. And you know, each chapter, uh, chapters three through nine, working through those, I have a section uh, about roadblocks, cultural norms and roadblocks. And it, it really is. I mean, uh, Jordan, you'll appreciate this. I was, um, and probably four years ago or so when I helped my, my best friend and buddy, Randy James, Dr. Randy James, he's a medical doctor and a functional medicine expert and we helped I helped I partnered with him to turn his practice from uh insurance based to a uh, uh, cash based uh, so he go deep with functional medicine and what we realized is most people you know bring them in go through a 2 hour consultation and really get into their lives do some advanced diagnostics and say gosh this is what we found and this is what would help these dietary changes these exercise changes these stress changes whatever most of them if left in and out just to themselves, they would do it. They would make the change. They would get rid of those foods and eat these foods. They would exercise at this point. They would get up at this point. They would go to sleep. At the, they would do them. It's getting back into their culture, their, their zone to use Dan Butner's blue zones, you know, to get into their zone will, will wreck that stuff. That's the big, we, we, we saw that that's the biggest wrecker or, or, or saboteur, we would say to their efforts when they go back and their spouse is not on board and going, oh, I'm not eating that gluten-free crap or get vegetables. Come on. I'm a meat and potatoes guy mm-hmm. going back and dealing with that or their kids or the workplace where it's, you know, donuts and pizza and whatever. And withstanding that, cause we, we so want to belong and that that was the biggest, you know, one of the biggest deterrents. So I really do. I think that cultural expectations, I, I, I struggle with it myself. I'm more aware of it. But I'm still amazed at some of the seemingly desires that come along that I'll realize I don't really want that. I'm just being swayed by the cultural expectations. So yes. In the second part of the book, you dive deeply into how drive affects seven big aspects of your life. You talk about purpose, relationships, body, mind, work, money, and financial achievements. This is a money show. So let's talk about money for a moment. What are some of the authentic and inauthentic drivers that people have with money in their lives? That's one where, of course, we've got the cultural expectations. And when we talk about money, I found myself, because I ask every guest, when you're on my show, we'll be talking about that. We go through those areas, you know, and say, what is it that you value? And then how do you go about practicing that, that with money, even putting in possessions, because some people, you know, will think, uh, you know, they, they're not interested in money, but then I see how tied to their possessions they are. Same thing to me. And with that one, man, we have huge cultural expectations. And I find more and more just bad feelings around money, negativity around money. And that's my story in the book is realizing I had some negative baggage around money that I didn't conceptualize. So it was a, it was a hidden drive. So I was going after like in this sense, businesses and whatnot, never with a financial plan. If anything, I didn't, I wanted people to think that I wasn't about the money. I wasn't about ego. I was about heart and service. And I sabotaged these businesses financially, which I had, there's one in particular business that was doing so well, serving people so well, so successful in all frames of of reference. And I sabotaged it financially because of my hidden baggage around money, possessions, accumulation, and what that looks like and whatnot. And it's, again, it's such an interesting one to get into and go, what do you, how do you feel about money? What are your emotions around money? Get Brene 
Brown's Atlas of the Heart with her 87 emotions and think about money and think about what do you feel around money? Because most people just by proxy think, you know, they think, hey, you know, money's money's good. Uh, but I find a lot of polarization. I find a lot of people who love it. think money's money's great. And they'll say that they love it. And sometimes I'll I'll find some unhealth in that side, but then just as much on the other side. No, no, I hate money. You know, money's money's the root of all evil. You know, we we know that. And man, that's not serving them either. And I was more on that camp. And what I did was sabotage so many efforts. Without money, I can't do my show. I can't write a book. I can't take care of my family and take care of others. And yeah, as you know, so many emotions around money that thwart our drive. And I, I I'm tempted, I, I, you know, I, to look at those areas that you just talked about to say where are we most, where do we most go awry with errant drive? money's got to be up there. I think again, you probably know more about that than I do. So if that's the case in your estimation, what does healthy drive towards money look like? Boy, that's a good question. What is it? I I would say one it's, it's, it's in part of the effort with my book is to let it be very individualized, you know, and to not look for the cultural reasons. Why do you want money? What is it that you want with money? What is the point of, of money? Uh, you know, so many people are working a job just for a paycheck alone, which makes it hard to find fulfillment in your work. The time you you spend there, if it's just for a paycheck, but if you can, at least, even if you're in work that may not be the most fulfilling, which I would hope everybody would, you know, would, would veer towards more fulfilling work. I think you'll make more money. Statistically, we see that when you do have that, but even if not to know, okay, but what are you doing with the money? And for the person who's out there busting their butt just to to take care of their family or whatever, man, I revere that. I would hope that you'd find something more fitting so that you don't loathe your work. But if you're doing it to feed your family and that's, that's valiant. And are you clear on that? Man, I am doing this because I love my family. I care for my family. I want to do this. And if you can withstand that, you know, great. But to look at what are you doing with your money? How do you feel about that? Are you an investor? Are you a, a saver? Do you want to give money away? Um, what is the point of it? And looking at, I mean, ultimately money, I did a show, uh, Jordan with um, Ken Honda. Ken Honda, he's literally Japan's number one self-help guru, guru, and his book is called Happy Money. Man, he does a great job of looking at our emotions around money. Is it happy money? He he, this is in the, this is in recent months, Jordan, and it it changed my paradigm even on how I look at money. Is it happy money or sad money? What are the emotions around that? And I want to align my drive in this essence, and make sure that I am viewing money, how I make it, how I spend it, what I spend it on, what I do with it in a happy framework, or at least a positive emotion. Well, Kevin Miller, I wanted to thank you for coming on the show today. As I think about our conversation, it really comes back to this idea of, I think I had drive wrong. I thought drive came from a cataclysm, often of trauma, that pushed us forward and made us want to be successful and achieve. But as I really look back at my own history, I start seeing it as a quiet series of actions. And that when I was most happy with my drive, wasn't when it was this painful, stressed, anxious feeling, but much more when it was a little bit less urgent and more fulfilling. This idea that 
I was driven to do things that felt meaningful and important and that I could take my time and do them right. I wanted to end this episode the way and every episode by asking you what is up next in your life and how people can get in touch with you. First and foremost, what is coming up with self-helpful and what do you have on your plate as of recently? Well, I'm I'm pretty driven with uh with the show these days. You know, podcasting is such as you know, such a a growing platform still. We're I still feel like it's the wild west. It's still being formulated in so many ways. We have so many shows out there, but what people actually listen to, uh, you know, it's it's changing. So trying to keep pace with that. So we're really focusing a lot of show. I want it to be a place that people come to to help them vet all the information out there and try to boil down what's really relevant for them for their drive and look at these self-help messages and be a curator for them and even a translator for that. So we're putting a lot of effort into the show. Um, I mean, the book is uh, something I, I care about drive. I love driven people. I mean, I really do. I love people who are excited about life, who are inspired. I mean, who doesn't? And we, we, we love those, but we want the ones that are at peace as well. And I find myself, you know, that driven person who's just embroiled in the hustle is a little tiring these days too. So looking at it and, and can we have a a peaceful drive? That's what I want is a peaceful drive. Doesn't even you can be fast, man. I I do things fast, but um, you know, so we're looking at at increasing the show and trying to I, I do want the book out there, what drives you and getting people authentically driven. Those are the people I want to hang out with. They inspire me. I need you. So if you're out there listening, I want you inspired because you inspire me with your authentic drive. So the show though is where it's, that's the headquarters for all we do. And I'm so, uh, actually you should listen to my show, Self-Helpful, my podcast, especially because soon I'm going to have Jordan on the show and you're going to want to hear uh, what he has to say. It's just such a gift. I can't believe I get to have conversations like this and actually make money from it how uh it's ridiculous well the podcast is self-helpful and the book is what drives you how to discover your unique motivators and accelerate growth in work and life kevin miller thank you for being honored and invest thank you for having me i'm incredibly honored and uh, just a joy to be with you jordan that's a wrap Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. I have been a victim my whole life of drive. That's right. Drive has been one of the most destructive forces in my life. Now, I know you're saying we just had this episode with Kevin Miller. We talked about drive, what drives us. We were really talking mostly in optimistic terms, but I have to tell you, in my own life, drive has been a difficult thing. And the reason why is I've always felt this really uncomfortable drive to do big things, to achieve things. Maybe you guys have heard me talk about the achievement treadmill before. You probably heard about the hedonic treadmill, right? This idea that we buy things and they make us feel good. They give us a dopamine hit. We feel great, but then a week or two later, it wears off and then we go and we buy something else to recreate those good feelings. Well, the idea is we generally return to baseline quickly. So something makes us happy, makes us feel good, 
But within days, weeks, months, we're back to where we started, and then we're back at that treadmill trying to run up that hill, or in my case, in that achievement treadmill, trying to achieve something new. And the reason why most of the achievements in my life have only made me happy in the short term. I'm driven. I'm driven to achievement, but those achievements don't bring me what I think is most important, what I think actually is the purpose of all of this. Those achievements don't bring me peace. Drive doesn't bring me peace. In other words, I am a victim of the achievement treadmill, just like many of you are who are listening to this right now. So what do we do about this? How do we put drive into perspective in a way that's healthy? Well, I think what Kevin Miller was talking about is really important. This idea that A, drive doesn't have a time frame. So we don't have to achieve these things quickly. There doesn't have to be such an urgency. We can achieve these things in our dear, sweet time. But the other thing that I focus on is being driven towards process instead of product. What do I mean by that? Process instead of product. What that means is I put my drive towards creating these very purposeful activities, and it's the activities unto themselves that I focus most of my energy on and not what comes out of those activities. So I'm not as worried about the end goal, the product, what happens because of what I'm engaged in. I try to really spend my time, be driven to find joy in the process. It's been like that with podcasting. It's been like that with book writing and public speaking. Yes, we all dream of doing these things that make us famous, that gives us a name, that makes us known. And while that all sounds great, I don't know if it feels particularly good. I don't think it feels sustaining or nourishing. I think our drive can be misplaced. Or as Kevin said, it can be misaligned. And in fact, not just can be, but usually is. So in my life, in this post-retirement space, maybe in this encore job or profession, what I'm trying to do is find ways to be driven in a natural, healthy way, a way that feels good. Be driven by the process and not the product. Be driven by the process and not the results. And most importantly, be driven by that sense of fulfillment and the connections and community I make because of these activities I'm involved in. That's what Earn and Invest is. This podcast is not here to make me money. In a sense, it's not even here for me to change the world. It's here for me to feel purposeful in the fulfillment of the process of creating it. And as a side effect, hopefully, if I'm lucky, some of you out there will listen and learn something. And it will not only change my life, but maybe help yours too.
All right, so I leave things running just to pick up any kind of after show. I just kind of let it go at the end. Um, first and foremost, is there anything about the book I didn't mention or that you really wanted to talk about? No, I mean, there's so much in it that uh, I, I appreciate people taking it down different angles. I was on somebody's show yesterday and they took it down some different angles that 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 were new and so it's a great discovery process for me yeah so often i end up hearing something i think man that's really good i wish that was in the book and i just keep editing that <laughs> no appreciate your questions and your insight into uh into the book thank you yeah i've struggled for sure with this idea of drive and how drive relates to happiness and achievements and that's why i kind of put that out there early uh it's a tough one right because i've actually found for me, that I get a lot more out of being driven towards doing purposeful things and removing my drive from actual goals or achievements. Because I found in my life that sometimes those goals and achievements actually is when I started feeling really misaligned because they were causing lots of anxiety and stress. Whereas when I could start to put my drive towards things that just were deeply meaningful for me, regardless of the outcome, I started feeling a lot more at peace. So I always talk about podcasting. I love podcasting. And certainly I'd love to get millions and millions of downloads a month, but on some level, that's only so much in my hands, right? I can market so much. I can make as good of a show as I can make, but ultimately I can't control whether people like it more this month or next month. But what I can control what does feel very purposeful for me is to love being in front of the mic, talking to people like you, having great conversations. And that's something I very much do feel like I can control and I can strive towards. And even if I do want to look at progress, because I do think making some progress is important, I can concentrate on things like how can I be a better interviewer? How can I have deeper conversations with my guests? How can I have guests that more align with the purpose of the podcast? Those things all feel much more process oriented as opposed to endpoint or goal oriented. And so I've tried to now steer my drive towards those type of things because it feels much more peaceful to me, at least. Now, I'm lucky enough to to have freed myself from traditional work in that sense. And I don't have to really worry about money as much as I think some people do. So that helps. Um, yeah, what you said, I, I find myself in my in, you know increasing awareness of just looking at my emotions yeah looking at my anxiety behind the drive and find that there's i i can be so prone to go after something that seems good seems right and yet it's i'm imprisoning myself with yeah. it just letting myself back even with you know, my exercise stuff that I do that I can get imprisoned and I've got to do, you know, I've got to do these, uh, this many pull-ups a day and and whatnot. And if I'm, I'm dreading this, that's not. And then, you know, you're right. And I, yeah. I've had that with exercise too. When you get to the point where you're dreading exercise, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Time to shift. And, uh, that, yeah. What, what you, what you said, I just had Robert Waldinger back on the show. Uh, he's a Harvard professor. He He's the longest scientific study on happiness. His book's called The Good Life. He's got a TED Talk with 45 million views and just had him back on the show. And he talked there that in his stage of life, it was in reference to Arthur Brooks' Strength to Strength, so second half yeah. of life, yeah. that he is as opposed, kind of to what you said, as opposed to being focused on the achievement, the, the goal, the, the, the goal uh, that he's more focused on 
what did he say? Something like, is this just, is this the path that I want to yeah. be on? Am I yeah. enjoying, like you said, the process as opposed it's, to- the It's end. process versus product, honestly. Exactly. I mean, yeah. It's yeah. process versus product. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well said. That, that's uh, that's God repeating himself, <laughs> I would say. And so the other thing I, so I'm reading through this and of course, again, we're a money podcast. So I'm hearing you write about Dave Ramsey. Did So you took care of Rachel Cruz? Like you babysat for I, Rachel Cruz? Literally. Yeah. My wife and <laughs> was I- Was she I, always this smart? <laughs> I don't I don't remember, man. It was a weird time. We knew him through church. We went to church together. And I think my, and my dad, my parents have been lifelong buddies of Dave and Sharon. And, uh, and he was just starting his money game podcast, uh, or not podcast, radio show. And before podcasting and had his little blue financial peace book. And he hired, he hired my wife first and, uh, she was doing some, I don't know, some admin stuff out of his home office, you know, literally in, in the cheap section of, of Nashville. And then we would babysit the kids, uh, at the time. And I don't know if he had all three of them at that point or just the two, but, um, yeah. Yeah. So that was, that's, they've been, and again, kind of family friends. I mean, I, gosh, I haven't talked with Dave in years probably last time i had him on the show is last time i talked to him but uh my dad's buddies with him so i hear about their life a lot 